Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. How y'all doing today? Great, great. My name is Anthony. I'm one of your pastors. It is always a pleasure to be here. It's always a pleasure to come together and worship with like-minded brothers and sisters, to share about the gospel and journey in life together. It is, like I said, we could be any other place. Uh, we could be at home sleeping. We could be uh, at Summerfest. Uh, we could be, you know, just watching ESPN. But no, you chose to come out to the house of the Lord, and for that we are thankful. We are so thankful. Um, this morning we're going to get started to continue on in our sermon series, Revealing the New City. Uh, today, as we've been going through our overview of the New Testament, today we're going to land a plane in the book of Hebrews. And I will be having uh, the pleasure of preaching the first part of our two-part series and uh, looking at the book of Hebrews. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind to join me for a word of prayer before we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we love you, O God. We praise your holy name. We just ask that you would continue to speak to us, O Lord, that you would help us to not only draw nearer to you, O Lord, but help us to draw nearer to one another, O God, as we journey to learn more of your word, uh, to learn more what you would have for us in this life, Lord, and uh, to love each other the way you love us. We are in such need of your love today, O God, and we just thank you, we thank you, and we thank you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, uh, as I've stated, we're going to be looking at Hebrews uh, and this part one of the book of Hebrews. Uh, I've been tasked on looking at Old Testament and New Testament continuity. And we're going to look at what that means uh, as far as some of the scripture that is being shared. And particularly today, we're going to focus in on the first two chapters of Hebrews. And with that, uh, for today's sermon, I'd like to use the title of Jesus, the Crimson Thread Throughout Scripture and Time. And we're going to focus on some scriptures going from the first and second chapter of Hebrews. As we get started, um, one of the things that I've had the opportunity to do recently as preaching, I get to share a little bit more about me and talk about my life. And it's a way for us to kind of get to know each other better. And I've had opportunities to meet with some of you and just talk and learn more about you. But as the person that's preaching, we're just here in front of everyone expressing everything. And so I wanted to share something about me that I've been kind of struggling with most of my life. And that is I struggle with impatience. And that impatience takes manifest in very weird ways with me. Uh, one of those ways is, the, is that um, as a child, I've always been an avid reader. My mom had instilled a great love of reading for me and my sister, and so I would just always love to read books as a kid. But I find myself, when I would read a book, just being the impatient person that I was, I start reading, I get into like chapter one, and then 
I skipped to the last chapter to figure out, try to figure out what happened in the book. And so don't raise your hand if you've done this. You've probably done it yourself. I know I'm not the only person on this one. Well, as I've gotten older, you would think that this kind of like, this habit would have disappeared. Well, oh no, it didn't disappear. Uh, it took a turn. It took what I would call a 21st century manifestation of my impatience. Like I said, full transparency here. Um, when I'm at home and I'm watching a movie I hadn't seen before, like on Netflix or so, um, I start the movie, maybe two minutes into it, I grab my cell phone, I go to the Wikipedia page and I read the plot synopsis because I gotta know what's gonna happen in the movie. Now, I don't know, maybe I'm the only weirdo in here that does that, but I, I, I do that each time. I can't help myself. I've got to find out just exactly what's going to happen in the movie instead of sitting there like a normal person and just watching the movie play out. And then after I watch the movie, I, I'm like, dude, who wrote the synopsis? Because there's a whole bunch of stuff that was missing that wasn't on the Wikipedia page. And so I'm like, come on, what, what's going on here? But I, I, I say that because uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, I found myself doing that with scripture, where sometimes I'll, I'll start with something and then I'll just get to the end. And you know what? Spoiler alert, get to the book of Revelation, good guys win. Good guys win. I'm so, so I'm sorry, but yeah, the good guys win. Uh, but I just can't go to Revelation without looking at all those things that had transpired from the beginning, from what, what was playing out throughout scripture and the, the great story and the great lessons and the beauty and the intricacy of what was being shared throughout scripture. I, I found myself just missing a lot when I was impatient and I wanted to skip to the end. And so today's lesson, as we start to look at this epistle of Hebrews and start to get a journey, we find that we're going to get a greater understanding and see how Jesus has been that crimson thread that is interwoven ever since the beginning of time throughout Scripture of the, to leading us to encouraging us today as present-day believers. So as we begin to dive in, uh, I'd like to make my first point, and the first point is that is, it was Jesus all along. It was Jesus all along. And this is coming from the first chapter, verses 1 through 4. It says, Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And in these last days, he had spoken to us by his son, whom he had appointed the heir of all things, to whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of, God's, of, God, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, as we start to unpack uh, what the author is sharing with us here in, the, in this epistle to the Hebrews, uh, there's a couple things that we need to uh, establish. The first of that is, 
we aren't exactly sure who the author of, of Hebrews is. Now, it has been debated and attributed a, a, a lot of times over the years on who exactly the author is. Some believe that it's Paul. Some believe that it's some Paul's contemporaries, such as Barnabas and Apollos. Uh, some believe that it couldn't be Paul because it, the writing style is so different from his other epistles uh, that we find that make up the New Testament. But one thing that is for certain outside of us not knowing who specifically wrote it, we're not even exactly sure who's the specific audience that this, this letter was written to. But what we can surmise from the information that is shared in the content of this letter is that it was written to a group of Jewish believers who are now following Christ. Because the author is writing a, about a lot of historical stuff that would be in the Torah and that those that were believers would be familiar with the things that are being described in here. But as we see that we understand, get an understanding of what the author, who the author was writing to and their understanding, we see that the author makes a quick pivot and he begins to narrow and focus in on what is most important in the message that he's trying to, to share. And that message is of who Jesus is. He lets us know, and this audience, and he's letting us know who Jesus is. He goes into a great description of who Jesus is. He goes on to say that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And let's just pause right there. He is describing who Jesus is. He's saying that Jesus is not what some people had said at that time period, had debated on, and, uh, and what we're, is being debated on sometimes at, at this present time period. He's establishing that Jesus is God, that he is God in the flesh. He is not just the son of God. He is not just the prophet. He's establishing that he is God. And he goes on to say that he is the exact imprint of God. In the original language in the Greek, the particular term that's used as far as that, the same imprint, is a, a word that's used is instead to be uh, homoousius, which is translated meaning saying that he is the same substance. They're saying that he is not separate from the Father, that what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are made of, the same substance. This is the beautiful mystery of the Trinity, that he is three but yet one. But he says that he is that radiant beauty, and he goes on to say that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, let's just pause right there about him saying he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is very relevant for us as modern-day believers because one of the things that has kind of crept into our current culture is to speak of the universe. I've heard a lot of people, and I've known some people that says that, oh, well, you know, I just, I just woke up and I spoke to the universe, and I just told the universe what, what I needed, and, and, you know, the universe is just giving this back to me. And, and brothers and sisters, the universe is not a person. The universe is a place. 
We can speak into the air all we want, and the air is not going to respond. When I was a teenager, I was in love with Janet Jackson, and I used to say, I'm going to marry Janet one day. And I was floating it out in the universe thinking that I'll marry Janet one day. Well, guess what? I'm 51 years old, and I'm married to her, and that's not Janet. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and maybe the universe was right on that. But, <laughs> but no, the universe is not a person. It is a place. And the scripture goes on to say that it is upheld by the power of his word. God created everything, and Jesus created in, in, in everything. And I just want to stop and focus on that right now. Jesus, in his infinite power, in his infinite love, created the heavens in the universe. Jesus, in his infinite power, in his infinite love, created the sun. He created the stars. He created the earth. He created the water. He created the air that we breathe. He, he created and gave us our bodies, and we have sight, and we can hear, and we can comprehend everything that we can even think or imagine. He created. Nothing was created without him all things were created by for and through him and that is something to be thankful for that is something to give thanks and praise for because he loved us so much look what he did for us all of us and with that being said thinking of his infinite love his power his creation how all things are created to him and he literally holds the universe up by his power of his word. I encourage you this morning and, and, and know that this is encouragement to us as believers, just as it was originally written to the people that received this letter. This is a word of encouragement to every single one of us that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what situation, what problem, what trouble that you have, things that have you burdened and broken down, know that it is not outside of the power and scope of his love. He loves us that much that he can move heaven and earth on your behalf. And that's something to be grateful for. That's something to say hallelujah about. That's something to shout about right then and there. He loves us that much. And we just need to hold on to that. We need to, to just, just live in that for a moment. And I just wanted us to, to understand and hold that of who Jesus is. It goes on to say that this Jesus, after all these things, he made purification for sins and then sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. And he became superior to the angels, as his name was his inheritance, more excellent than theirs. This same Jesus that who has done all these things is greater and superior than the angels. And this was, this was big news for those, this Hebrew audience that had received this. Because at this time... Uh, they knew because of culture and tradition that normally the message that the, the, the Mosaic law that was delivered to Moses was delivered by angels. And so angels were held in high esteem of what they said as being messengers of truth. But the author wants us to know that these messengers of truth were just that. They were messengers of God's truth and love. But this Jesus, our Jesus, 
is truth and love. How much more greater is the words that come from our Jesus than those that have come from the angels? This is the Jesus that he is explaining. And that's why we should be internally grateful. Now, as we pivot on, we are going on to our second point, and our second point is that is to stand firm, not to neglect this precious gift. Don't drift away. And this is coming from the second chapter of Hebrews, verse number one, and it says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, as we have seen that the author in the first chapter has established who Jesus is, uh, who he, uh, where he is at this time period, his power, what he has done on our behalf, the author starts to pivot and he wants his audience to stand firm. This is a warning to believers as back then and even right now to stand firm on his word lest we drift away from it. Now, it's summertime, and like most of us, we like to take vacations, and I've got a trip planned with my family, and one of the things that we like to do, well, me and my daughter like to do, my wife doesn't particularly care for it, uh, we are going to take a trip to Wisconsin Dells. And when we go to the Dells, we do as the Romans do, we... Uh, you know, we, we, we hit a water park. We, we get, you know, there's, there's gonna be some water involved. And being the person of a certain age, I have a particular jam from when I go to water parks. And for that is going on the lazy river. That's my thing right there. Lazy river, me all day. I don't need to be going any rides that require me climbing hills, carrying an inner tube, standing in line. There's never a line at the lazy river. You just get in the water, you hop in an inner tube, and then you make it happen. I mean, what could be greater? I mean, lazy is in the description. I mean, it, 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 can't, it can't get any better than that. And so, you know, you just, you know, if you've never done it before, you get in the water, you hop in your inner tube, and then it happens. You start to drift. And this is something that requires no effort. There is no instruction manual. There is no one giving a tutorial. You just get in the tube, and you start to drift. And the current just kind of takes you down the lazy river. And one of the great things about the lazy river is when it's going well, you're drifting in the way that you, you want to go and you make that full lap and then you start to make another slow lap and you're doing well. But sometimes in the lazy river, the current takes you where you don't want to go. And then you find yourself in the corner with like eight other eight empty inner tubes and like an eight-year-old looking at you like, why can't this grown man paddle himself out of the corner <laughs> to get out away from, you know, the corner? But I say this because this is very reminiscent and metaphorical of how it can be for us as people of faith. We could find ourselves drifting away. And drifting is a gradual thing. Drifting is a subtle thing. It's something that we don't really have that much control of. It just kind of happens. And when you, you, you get going by that current, 
it just kind of takes you along. And next thing you know, you, you find yourself just kind of going with everyone. And, and sometimes if we're not rooted and grounded in our faith, we could find ourselves as believers being drifted away, away from the truth. We could find ourselves being drifted away from what God's message is and his, his purpose and his plan for us. We can find ourselves drifting away from our foundation. And that subtle drift doesn't take effort. You just kind of go with it. And one thing that we want to point out about drifting is quite often when we do drift, it's not that we're drifting towards good things. You don't hear people saying, well, yeah, you know, I was just kind of drifting, and I just drifted into holiness. Or, yeah, I was just drifting, and I, 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 I drifted into, you know, righteousness, and I, I, I drifted into a very up, up, upstanding life, and where I've just abstained from sin. I, I don't know how I found myself here. I just got here. But you know what? No, they, usually drifting doesn't happen that way. We find ourselves being caught up in the current cultures of things that are contrary to God's will. And the author of Hebrews is letting us know to be very cognizant of our drifting. Be very cognizant to stay in the firm foundation of what God would have us to do. To stay in the very firm foundation of his love and his word, of his instruction. That we are to be intentional in our walks in faith. And so this is something that we need to hold on to as far as us being very intentional. As we continue to journey on in the second chapter, uh, verses 2 to 4 states the following. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we shall neglect such a great salvation? It was declared first by the Lord and was attest to those of, of them who heard. While God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, distributing according to his will. We find that the author right now, as he is speaking to this audience, are familiar with Mosaic Law. And, and with them being familiar with Mosaic Law, he drives home with great emphasis the amazing gift that salvation is. The amazing gift that what was spoken and that we are to hold on to, that it's not a cheap gift, that it's not something that we should take for granted, that's something that we should hold quite dearly to and cherish. And when we hold on to this and we realize the seriousness, how greater are the words to us, the words of life that have been spoken to us by Jesus? This Jesus who is greater than the angels. For us not to cheapen our salvation. Not to come into a place to saying, well, okay, I've opened up my heart. Uh, there, there is a book that, that, that's written that speaks about cheap grace. That, that, that we shouldn't be in the place of, 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 of saying that, well, you know, I did enough to get into heaven and, you know, I'm just going to kind of do my thing. No, let us live for God. Let us live in relationship with him. Let us live in his power and his love and his, and his, and his message and the things that he had given us by his word. 
that we should take these things for hold and, and hold on to them. Because our salvation was not just to save us. Our salvation rescues us from us. Because we were broken people. We were broken from what had transpired in the garden. We could not repay what had been broken and, and, and the transgression that happened because of sin. There was no way that we can atone for it. There was no way that we can pay for the wages of sin. There is no way that we can talk our way out of it, rationalize our way out of it, uh, try to buy our way out of it, think that we're good enough and do good deeds. None of this that we can do. Our salvation came through the blood of Jesus shed on Calvary's hill. This is our reminder. This is what Jesus did for us. And brothers and sisters, as we transition on to my, my last point, as we transition on, our last point is that of a promise fulfilled. From chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Amen. What the author is sharing with us today and wants us to hold truly dear on it is that what Jesus did on the cross by his blood sacrifice he took the power of death and hell away from Satan. That we don't have to live a life in fear of just death and thinking that, okay, there's nothing more to it than after this. Jesus has power over that, and he has taken it, and he has given us a right to the tree of life. He concludes and shows us that the continuity of the Old and New Testament that that, that this is a great spanning of an incredible, magnificent story that is still playing out in ways that we might not have recognized. That his scarlet, his crimson love had been established from the beginning of time and is played throughout scriptures through Genesis to Revelation that there is a great message and a great purpose that is being fulfilled, that is being played out. And when we look at Scripture, as I said earlier in my beginning in the show, that sometimes when I just wanted to skip to the end, I need to go back and I need to, to read and, and, and see the great detail of God's purpose and plan and what he was sharing for each and every one of us that there was always a purpose in the plan. That when man fell in the garden, Jesus' response was not a knee-jerk response of, okay, things are messed up, what are we gonna do now? No, there was always a purpose and a plan. And we find that sometimes through scripture, we see the beginning of things and we see where things are going and some of these things have yet to come. In the book of Genesis, 15th chapter, 
verses 3 to 5. This is a conversation with Abram and, and God. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he accounted to him as righteousness. This was the beginning of a promise in the book of Genesis, a promise that will be fulfilled in all of us, a promise that will be fulfilled that is yet to come, but a promise that is a promise of, of, of great hope and inspiration of what Jesus has in store for us. So when we flip to the last book in the Bible, we find the fulfillment of this promise made to Abram. Revelation 7 and 9 says, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is a part of this crimson thread that has been woven from the beginning of time, extending into eternity. This is the testament of the love that Jesus has for every single one of us. And as we close this message, I, I want this to be encouragement to us all, as it was encouragement to the audience that received this letter, to stand firm in the faith and know that God is in the midst of it all because he loves you so much. And though, even though you might have times in your life where you did not see this crimson thread of Jesus, he had always been there. He had always been there keeping you and sustaining you. He had always been there bringing you through rough times and, and even when you felt farthest away from him or you might not have realized that he was there. He was there. And this is an encouragement for those who might not have opened their heart to Jesus to know that you can be a part of this promise, that you can receive this promise, you can receive his love, that what he did on the cross is open for you. All you have to do is open your heart and say yes. Yes to his love. Yes to his will. Yes to his way. Yes to his gift of salvation because he paid the price for us all. And for those of us who have been in the faith and we've been struggling and you might have find yourself drifting away from our firm foundation, know that Jesus is standing with open arms to receive you. You can come back home because he loves you this much. He cares for you this much. That is good news, brothers. Be encouraged by that. Strengthen each other by that. Love each other with that. Remind each other with that. Put your arms around each other. And sometimes you just got to put your arms around yourself and say, yeah, it's going to be all right with Jesus. It really is. This is our prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you, O oh God. We just ask that you continue to pour out your love upon us, O oh God. We're so thankful for what you have done in our lives, O oh God. 
We don't take it for granted, O oh Lord. We thank you for it. We praise you. We say hallelujah because you are the King of kings and the Lord of love. You are not a God that just sits off high, O oh Lord, but you stand at the door of our hearts knocking, wanting to come in and fellowship with us. And we invite you in, Jesus, to draw closer to you, to love you more, to live for you and live with you. This is our prayer right now in Jesus' name.